Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are the Money Cafe and we're coming to you again from Short Story in Hawthorne and it's great to be with you again, James. Thanks for having me again, Alan. No, no problem. <laughs> it's as much yours as mine now. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, keep coming back. Well, there's plenty to talk about, is there not? Um, let's just start with Magellan uh, Financial Group. Um, now, uh, you had a piece a couple of days ago about the CEO quitting. Yeah. Mysteriously. Mysteriously, yes. Um, Kurt, uh, a sort of a curt note on that, not really explained. No. Personal reasons was all we got. Personal so. reasons. But this his resignation came three weeks after the AGM where he gave quite a strident defence of Magellan's performance and its right. model. And um, then he suddenly quit on Monday night. And then yesterday, an ASX announcement, uh, with a, including a statement by Alexandria and Hamish Douglas... Hamish Douglas being the co-founder and chairman yep. of the company, um, saying that, uh, yes, uh, we've split up. Yeah, yeah, which is sad, you know, sad for the Douglas family, obviously, and, and these things do unfortunately happen. But the importance of that is that uh, together they own a big stake in the business. And if 12%. There was, yeah, if there was a divorce settlement that split the stake, as happened at Platinum Asset Management with Judith and Kern Nielsen, then Hamish's sort of control of the business or level of control of the business would change. So they're very quick to... But also it would be an overhang on the shares. Yes. Potentially driving them lower. Indeed. And so they were quick to say uh, we're we're of one in terms of keeping keeping the stake together. Well, in fact, apparently, according to the ASX statement, Mm. they're the best of friends remaining. That's that's good. That's good. And, and, you know, there's a a family involved, so... (laughs) We wish them all the best, but it's been a fascinating week for Magellan, and obviously there's a lot going on all at the same time, which is the you know the worrying thing, I guess, for investors. Hamish has got this divorce going or the separation. Suddenly, the CEO quits. The the, the performance of the glo- float flagship global fund has been poor, and uh, it's going to take a while until that fund is beating its benchmark again, if ever. I mean, I was going to say that there's more going on at Magellan than, you know, than the the bosses uh, splitting up from his wife. Yeah. Because the stock's gone from 60 or 70 bucks to 30 bucks, right? Yeah. And it's because, as you say, the performance has been bad and money's been flowing out. And so, you know, you wonder where they're heading, really. I mean, it's very difficult for an outfit like that to get large and continue to be good. Yes, that's a great point. That's the problem. Yeah. And we've seen at Platinum Asset Management, once the the performance starts to go, the retail money starts to leave. And Platinum Asset Management's basically been falling for five years. Yeah, and one thing you said in your piece in the Fin Review this morning was that once once you lose the retail money, it's really hard to get it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Magellan has courted that retail money so much, you know, a lot of press, big events, big flashy events, and, and now... You know, they're, they're going to have to convince the believers to keep believing, basically. Yes. So um, he should have sold. Well, yeah. They should have sold the business, right? A, a year ago, 18 months ago, when it was <laughs> worth $100 billion. Yeah, well, it does raise an interesting question. Like, why are these things listed? Is a good – is a funds management business – a good vehicle for the listed markets. Well, they don't need to raise capital. Not really. The reason they list, and this, this was true of Platinum, I suspect it's true of Magellan, is because a lot of their staff have got shares. They pay their staff in shares as much as money, yeah. particularly when they're starting out, yeah. and they want to give them liquidity. They want to give them a, an opportunity to sell the shares. So yes. I, I, that's that's why I think they list. Yes. Um, 
Uh, I, I think the, the Nielsen's used it as an exit as well. To uh, some yeah, extent. To some extent, yeah. Well, it certainly makes that, that well, easier. Well, Judith certainly cashed out, didn't yeah, she? Yeah. So, um, anyway, the, the Douglases are saying they're not going to cash out. Yes. And they haven't, really. Yeah. But the pressure on the model's not going to change, I don't think. Like, until no. the performance turns around. And because the performance was really good 2018, 2019, it means. It, it takes a while to sort of lift the lift the performance back above the benchmark in in following years. Yeah. What else has been going on in your world, James? Uh, well, we had a CFO summit on uh, Monday in Sydney, which was uh, now I know, I know you're thinking CFOs. I would have slept through it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, world's most boring summit. No, no, it was actually really good. And what I was surprised, well, not surprised, but quite taken with, was how bullish. These CFOs were CFOs being chief financial chief officers financial for those officers, who, yeah. Uh, um, looking into 2022, all of them, you know, basically to a person said, "We're we're focused on growth. We think the economy is going to boom. Where our board is telling us to chase growth initiatives." And then we had an interesting um, uh, speech from Richard Slapen, who's the head of M and A at uh, UBS, and he said. That's great, but in the last three months, investors have been knocked around a bit, partly by inflation and, and you know, whipsawed with the markets going up and down, increased volatility. And he, his question is, will these growth plans of companies be met with a bit more scepticism from investors than has happened over the last 18 months or so? So I reckon that's a really interesting one to watch in 2022. Will we see investors support growth as much as they have over the last... 12 months. Um, yeah, well, I guess that's right. It'll be interesting. Yeah. You went to another event yesterday, didn't you? Yes, the uh, Australia-Israel Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, sort of hosted by the Lou family and, and some other Melbourne luminaries. Um, Josh Frydenberg spoke. We're clearly in federal election mode. It was a very much an election stump speech uh, about the how the government nursed the economy through the... Um, uh, through the pandemic, lots of defensive, strident defensive JobKeeper, um, and then a very interesting endorsement at the end by from Premier uh, Investments, Solomon Liu's company. The CEO there, Richard Murray, used to work at JB Hi-Fi. He gave a quite a strident sort of pitch for the Liberals too. So interesting to see a. Public he's a well-known company. Liberal though, isn't he? He is. He is. He's a, he's a chairman of a fundraiser in Melbourne. But, but you've you've come away from that place and tapped out a piece saying that uh, Richard Murray and Solly Lou are in absolute simpatico. Oh, they are kindred no? spirits. Oh, it's just interesting. And and Lou must have known this when he hired him. But a lot of the what Murray was saying was he's been surprised at how many things are similar between JB and. Um, Premier, although they're, you know, one selling electronics and one selling clothes. But the, the sort of focused on cost control, planning, right product in the right place at the right time is, is similar. So, interesting. Yeah. I had an interesting experience yesterday. So a few days ago, some bloke wrote to me saying that um, uh, they uh, he, he works for this recruitment firm, uh, uh, IT recruitment, and right. um, uh, every morning their boss in what they call the morning scrum, yes, um, shows my uh, ABC News finance report from the night before right. to the to the assembled staff. That's that's interesting. Well, okay, and um, and he wrote to me saying that uh, I've got the boss in the cake in the Chris Kringle this year, <laughs> and I wonder if you could sign a book for him. Oh, I like for that. A, a copy of your book mm. as being my Chris Kringle for the boss. That's a great idea. 
So I said, oh, yeah, sure. I'll be at this cafe at 3.30 tomorrow. Yep. Being yesterday. Yes. Um, and if you want to show up there with the book, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> So there I was at the cafe, 3.30 yesterday, and he showed up with the boss. With the boss. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> he came. And um, uh, so they were great. We just sat down and we had a great chat and I learnt so much. Um, so what's going on in recruitment is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. He says, they've never seen it. He's, this bloke's, the boss had been in recruitment for 30 years. He says he's never seen anything like it. That, that's fascinating. The, the, the big thing we heard, the other big thing at this CFO summit, tech skills. No one can get them. Yeah. I said, well, what's going on? He says, well, it's the temporary mi- migration, permanent migration has collapsed, yeah. right? And so they can't get anyone from overseas and they're just the skills aren't here in Australia. Yeah. So salaries are skyrocketing. Mm, mm. He's saying he's going to people offering 130 grand to somebody, say, 130 package that he, that he thought was previously on 120 or something and so they say, no, no, sorry, I'm on 200 now. Yeah, right. Um, and if you want me, I'm, you know, it'll be 230, please. Yeah. So... Uh, well, the fascinating thing that the um, CFO of uh, REA uh, Ray, which is realestate.com, part owned by News Corp, um, but she was saying the problem is that, you know, there used to be a few tech companies in Australia on the exchange, Car Sales, Seek, REA, but now everyone is digitising or going online and so they're competing with Bunnings for tech people. And, you know, it, it's just a war. Yeah, that's right. So Exactly. But it's not going to finish. Like I, I can imagine, your uh, fan will be in um, clover for the next five years because this this trend is not stopping. They're making a fortune. I bet. I mean, yeah. but they must be. Well, they're charging sixteen to eighteen percent of salary Oof. as their fee, Oof. Um, and the salaries are going up, right? Jeez. So the percentage the percentage isn't going down. What What did you charge him for the signature? <laughs> Well, it's, what, what a Chris Kringle, what a bit of initiative by that I know, that, that bloke's going a long way. <laughs> he's, just, he's just locked in his Christmas bonus. I was so very, very no, impressed. I was, chuffed. I was chuffed that they show my little report. Oh, that's great. To yeah. the morning scrum every day. That's good. Hey, do you watch, I was in the middle of the cricket. I was, I was sitting there. I had the cricket on my um, laptop mm. yesterday, on my computer, and I was in the middle of interviewing somebody with the cricket going on mute yes. on the side. In the middle of interviewing somebody. And blow me down, Mitchell Stark gets a wicket with his first ball. Yeah. I nearly jumped out of the chair. <laughs> I had trouble concentrating after that. Was the interview subject also watching? Did you get that sense? No. Or? No, they were, no, no, they were focused. Unlike me, they were concentrating <laughs> on, the, on the task at hand. Yeah. Oh, the, the reason I put cricket on our list today, this is a bit left field, I, I know, but I had lunch the other day with Tim Ford, who's the CEO of Treasury Wine Estates. And I don't know if you know, but he was a good cricketer. He played under-19 cricket for South Australia. So, you know, he was sort of on the cusp of the Shield team at one point. And it strikes me with cricket that it's a game that is quite a good teacher in terms of you have to work with a team and that's all great, rah, rah, rah. But you get out. You know, your day can go to pot pretty quickly. You know, one ball and you're, you're walking back to sit around. So you have to learn to deal with setbacks. And it just struck me that, you know, some of the some of those skills that you pick up in, in cricket, I've never been a cricketer, but that, that, that skill particularly struck me as being quite good for a business well, my, person. Well, my son played cricket as a junior. Yeah. And it's a heartbreaker, Fenicum. <laughs> You'd go out, you know, we'd all troop out, mum and dad, Plus, plus, the, <laughs> plus the boy out to the paddock, yeah, and uh, you know, and he's dressed up in his whites, and out he goes for his 
you know, to, to bat and he's out. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Day's over. Yeah. Oh, it's a shocker. But it's it's a bit of a teacher. It's a bit of resilience about oh, it though, isn't there? No, but uh, yeah, well, if you haven't, if you're not that resilient, yeah. you know, it's terrible. Hard when you're a, hard when you're a 10 or 12 year old, I but know. But speaking of cricket, I had a, I've got a column in the New Daily this morning mm. uh, about manufacturing. Okay. And um, uh, it's partly come out of uh, a piece that that very son of mine did for Channel 9. Right. About Australia's bat makers. Okay. Of which there are four in this country. Um, And they often sell bats to Australian cricketers because they tailor make them. Yes. And they're beautifully made bats Mm. because they make them by hand. Yeah. There's Sally Bradbury in Perth. There's Lucas Williams in Melbourne. Right. There's Lachlan Fisher in regional Victoria. And there's a company called Cooper's in Brisbane, right? And they're really good at making bats. So Australian players love them. Yeah. But... um, uh, they take the labels off them. I was going to say, yeah. and put bloody whatever it is, Grand Nichols or um, MRF or Kookaburra on it because they get paid sponsorships. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and the sponsorships are like a million bucks a year. So these poor little Aussie bat makers can't compete. Yes, yes. And so I, I spoke to them all. Right. This week. And and are they sort of disappointed with that state of affairs, or do they accept it as part of? Oh, the, part it's of the terrible. Gig? I mean, they just but there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of them told me that um, probably at least as many as half of the cricketers at the Gabba this week mm. have got Aussie bats. Right, handmade not, Aussie bats. Handmade Aussie bats that are not labelled Yeah. Um, with those with Bradbury or, or Williams or, yeah. or Fisher. It, it's so hard though, isn't it? Like, because to, the, 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 the quality of those bats depends on them being tailor-made, handmade, right? And so... For that business to scale up, they would need to move away from that in some ways and automate manufacturing. So yeah, how do you right. get that balance right? But their bats, like Williams and Bradbury's bats, mm. are 900 bucks. Best, right. The best of their bats, that you, you can buy them. Yeah, okay. Uh, you could uh, online or I think you can get them in some stores or straight direct from them. So 900 bucks. The bats that the you know the top makers like Kookaburra and Grand Nichols are, are selling up to 2000 bucks. Right. So they're good so, value these so Australian these, ones. So the Australian ones are half the price. Yeah, right. The ones that the and the, the ones that are being imported, right? That are mass produced, mm. the margins are massive. Yeah, okay. Because it's all about marketing. Branding. Jeez. It's all about branding and marketing. Yeah. So you didn't know that, did you? I've I, I've taught you something I today. I did not know that. I th- I thought I was a bit left field with cricket, but you've actually got a proper business angle on it. That's <laughs> impressive. Well, yeah, and and do they have a sense of how they're going to bridge the gap or, or where how they grow? Their I think business? they're giving up. Right, Lachlan right. Fisher's retiring. I think mm, okay. Sally Bradbury's going back to uni. Jeez. Uh, Lucas is doing okay because he's he's been doing some uh, social media videos on TikTok in right. particular. Yeah, that have got a lot of traction, a lot of views. Yeah. so he's starting to get some orders. I would have thought. Turning up to the local club cricket with a special. Well, that's bat. what they that's do. Where you that's, want to be. that's where they're getting their orders from, is cl- right. uh, clubs. Yeah, and so they'll sell a couple to someone in the club, and every, and, and everyone will say, "Oh, they're, they're great. We'll buy them." So yeah. they'll sell a dozen. You know. Yeah. Hard and as yards. you say, and as you say, these are cottage industries, so that you know, if they if they get a dozen orders, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so look, I mean, look, it's it's, it's part of a, a part of a big piece I did on manufacturing. Yeah. In Australia, which is in trouble. Yeah, I mean, one of the other examples was this: the the only Australian manufacturer of solar PV, solar panels, yep. Yep. is a company called Tindo Solar in Adelaide. Right, um, 
And uh, they're in strife because 99% of Australia's solar PV is imported from China. Yeah. At very cheap prices, it must be said. Yeah, Yeah, well, you can't compete. No, no. Yeah. That's the eternal eternal problem of Australian manufacturing. We probably have to move to questions. I think we've been talking enough. Um, Do you want to talk about the RBA? No, not really. Nothing happened. Well, nothing happened, but, I mean, it feels like they're getting closer, doesn't it? It oh, feels like the are. resistance is wearing down. Every day. <laughs> Every day the, the rate rise is some, a little bit closer. Yeah, but it's still a year off. Yeah, yeah. Probably. And, and and possibly this new variant pushes it out. You know, it definitely stays the RBA's hand. They're in no hurry. Yes. But if, if your uh, recruitment mate's right, we should see some wage changes. Well, there's, a, there's definitely a difference between the... This is what you call the award wages and the the upper level tech, tech type yeah, wages, yeah. which are moving as we know. Yeah. But the award wages don't seem to be moving, and they're, they're all going on strike. There's uh, an interesting graph I saw this morning of industrial disputes in Australia. Yeah, okay. Up quite a lot, right? As we see, I mean, the teachers are on strike in New South Wales today. Yeah. Oh, yesterday, and um, uh, but it's up for a low, low base. Yeah. yeah. Industrial disputes, lowest in history, you know. Yeah. Um, recently. Yeah. So they've gone up from that low base, but doesn't, you know. I mean, you probably need, in order for there to be a proper wage growth, there'd need to be more strikes. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, and you're right, though. The drumbeat, the, the, the sort of anecdotal evidence is that they're just ticking up a little bit. Yeah. You just hear about it more, don't you? Yeah, you do. That's yeah. right. So. Okay, first question's from Dan the Man. Mm. Hey, Dan the Man. Uh, hi, Alan. I was listening to your podcast with Sam Gawenda. The clarity around borrowing for a house was great. However, it didn't make me consider the bank of mum and dad. Although the mums and dads have more than sufficient equity in their houses to lend out 50 to 100k for their children to buy their first house, doesn't all this feel like house of cards? One poor one, house of cards. One poor policy decision away from collapse. I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. What? What's the problem? What well, is, do, you, do you understand what he's talking about? I think what Dan the man is getting at here is that um, there is a oh, touch the, of the, the Ponzi and dad scheme are... about this. That we, it sort of relies on the next person coming in and borrowing more money to buy a house and then the next person coming in and borrowing more money and more money and more money. So right. if we got maybe not one poor policy decision but, say, five interest rate decisions right. quickly, would that put the – Put, put the frighteners through the market and poor mum and dad's left on the hook. But I, I don't know. Like, Well, I'm a, I'm a branch manager at the bank of mum and dad. <laughs> Are you? I am. Yeah. You know. How's business? Uh, business is brisk. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and are and, you concerned? Well. What's your risk tolerance like? So what, what, the way I see it is, and I suspect most those people, you'll be in the same position at some point. <laughs> yes. Uh, is that it's an early inheritance. The thing is, I'm going to live, I'm going to live till I'm 100. Yeah. Right? At which point my kids will be 70. Yeah. Or 65. Yeah. And uh, way too late to get my money or the inheritance. Yeah. By then. So we used to die, you know, used to retire at 65, die at 70. Yes. In which case the kids got the money at the time they needed it. Yeah. But yeah. the way I see it, you know, we're all living longer now and the kids, the kids don't get it when they need it. That's so you've got to just give it to them when they need it. That's a good way of thinking about it. So you're not sort of 
and, and and to that point, you're not wor- you're not thinking about well, all interest I'm, rates. All, all I'm just making sure of is that my wife and I have got enough. If we so I've, I haven't retired, I'm okay. Yeah, I don't want to I've retire noticed. yet. <laughs> so, no, I don't, I'm fine. <laughs> but you know, I just want to make sure we've got enough to live on if I want to retire in yep. a couple of years' time. Yeah. And as long as we're fine, well, as long as we're looked after, the kids can have the rest. Yeah. Okay. The way okay. I see it. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you worry though that if there was a couple of interest rate rises, there'd be stress on your kids that would flow through to you somehow, or? You think, yeah. Oh, well, there'd be more stress on them if they didn't have any cash from me. Yeah. Because they'd have to borrow more. Yeah, good point. You know? Yeah. I mean, and also, I, I I don't particularly want them to live in Tarnit. Yes. Or wherever that is. Yeah. I don't even know where it is. <laughs> I know it's a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's workplaces all across Tarnit that are showing me uh, your, your nightly news clip every morning too. So just shout out to the good people in Tarnit. No, I'm not, I'm not putting it up. It's perfectly fine place. Hamish writes, Where's hi, that? Alan. There's a question from Hamish Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> hi, Alan. Do you know much, much about seaweed, particularly about the ways to invest in it? It seems like a bit of a miracle worker, reducing methane in cows, rebuilding reef ecosystems. Plus, it's pretty damn good for you. I know the CSIRO are doing a bit of work, but I can't find much else. I'm not... I don't know if we've got a, sea, a seaweed sector on the ASX. In fact, I do know. We don't. We don't. <laughs> yes. No, no, that's right. That Eureka Report, we, we plough the fields of the ASX pretty regularly and yep. uh, have not stumbled across a seaweed company yet. There is some interesting stuff going on in this in private capital. Um, yeah, right. I, I think there's some you know, big farms that are trying to, you, you particularly the, the you see seaweed as a feed stock. Um, right. But yeah, I'm not sure there's ways to invest in it, and I, and I'm not sure it's at the stage where it's investable. Like I think it's still pretty early days, proving the technology type thing. I think they've got a I think they've got a labelling problem. I think they need to stop calling it weed, seaweed. Yes, because that doesn't sound very appealing. True. I think they need to call it sea crops. Sea crops or mm. something better yeah. than weed. Weed, you know, like come on. Yeah, but although we would like seaweed in our Japanese food, so we can come at it. I don't like seaweed. Okay, fair enough. I mean, right. in my Japanese food, to be Off honest. Off my Chris Kringle list there. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick says, great listening to your podcast every Thursday, especially his new format under the Eureka Report banner these past six months. Um, my question is regarding individual shares in climate. In the weeks leading up to and following COP26, I invested in a number of different renewables, such as plug power and Canadian solar, initially seeing nice increases before a significant decline in the wake of the Omicron variant. Do you think climate-related stocks will recover strongly in the months and years to come? Well, Nick, mate, this is a long-term play. I mean, fair income. We are in a big transition here. Everyone's net zero by 2050 now. Um, that is a 30-year game. Uh, it's not five years or ten years, it's 30 years, and stick with it. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's so much Omicron. It's more interest rates and the, the, these are tech companies essentially hmm. with um, long-dated profits and cash flows, and, and you're just going to get some variation when – you're going to get some volatility when rates go up. So, yeah. y- you know, but you shouldn't be – these are not stocks you invest in uh, because of interest rates, so ride yeah. it out. Yeah. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be making long-term uh, – short-term – Speculative plays in these things, I don't think. I mean, no, no, and particularly with those early stage companies, because you're investing a to see what they can do, but b to see who might buy them. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's where you might 
make your money th- through when when some bigger company swallows them up as they need to decarbonise. So yes, uh, hang in there, I would so- say. Totally. Hayden, hi Alan and guest. Uh, when getting into investing for the first time, but for the long term, is it better to aim for shares with bigger growth potential and no dividend, or modest or minimal growth but a good dividend? Just an example. BHP's usually fluctuated between thirty-five bucks and fifty bucks over the past ten years, but with a good dividend and Linus has good growth. Uh, with a good dividend and Linus but has no, good growth, but no dividend. General advice only, of course. Well. Uh, absolutely clear you go for the growth and no dividend because if it's long term if you're a long term yeah. investor yep. you don't need I mean particularly a young person I mean it's only old people who want dividends in my view yes yes it's, it's all about growth so you want Linus uh, unless you're going to unless you're going to reinvest the dividends yeah I was going to say uh, my, my caveat would be a mix does give you capital to keep ploughing into the market as you know early on yeah. So, so if you get those BHP dividends and you invest them back in BHP or something else, then you can keep, you know, you get a bit of compounding. So yeah, sure. But you, I mean, the, what Warren Buffett always says is that um, if you like the company, why not, why not just keep your money in it? Because usually yeah. what happens is the return on equity in these companies is 15 to 20%, sometimes more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is probably more than you can get from the share market. So if they're compounding within the company, yes, um, yes. at that sort of rate, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear, Hayden. That my, this is my view. I mean, everyone's got a different point of view. Some people say, "Oh, you've got to have dividends because that shows they've got discipline in the business." Yeah, and they're you know they're managing their cash flows properly, and that's fair enough. I mean, a lot of people don't trust boards that much <laughs> to hang yeah. on to the money. You know, yeah. they want the, they want to see the the eighty percent of the profit given back yeah, because well, they don't really trust them. That's a really good point. Um, that's why f- peop- some people love founder-led firms because they do have this sort of um, greater connection or buy into the business. And so I'd explore all those things. I mean, there's hardly any dividends in America and, you know, there's, there's, they're, they're all about growth. Yeah. Final question from Ben. Um What do you think would happen in Australia if the government called in all the current $100 notes in circulation and gave people, say, three months to switch them all to new ones at the banks? How much extra tax would the government take by identifying a whole bunch of money stored outside of the current prying eyes? Uh, I don't really understand what he's saying there. Uh, got to sw- take the $100 notes and switch them to new ones at the banks. What does that mean? Well, I think this would um, this would identify all the cash in the black economy outside of uh, – that is undeclared because you would, you know – You'd have to come back. You'd, you'd have, have to come take, back and, de- and Put them in the bank. Them. Yeah. yeah. But people wouldn't Register do it. Register them. No, but people wouldn't do it. Well, they'd lose their $100 Oh, they'd notes lose their $100. Oh, I see. There's new ones. Yeah, right. So oh, I see. It's a, uh, okay. it's a way to force – I was a bit slow there. I get it. Forcing the economy, the cash Good in the thinking, economy. Ben. <laughs> Good idea. What do you reckon would happen? Well, sure. I mean, it all have to come in. Yeah. And and I remember as I, from watching the uh, uh, Alan Collar's report on the seven thirty on uh, seven o'clock news. Wasn't there a huge rise in banknotes? Huge in rise. And I didn't get that. I haven't had a banknote in my wallet for eighteen months. No, that's the point. That's the point. And what's more. So there's, it's like gone up. I can't remember the numbers now, but it's like uh, billion, hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. in banknotes yeah. that have been issued recently, and three quarters of them are hundreds and fifties, right? Yeah. And I haven't, had a, I haven't seen a hundred dollar bill for years. No. So I are mean, people stuffing them under the 
well, people sort of disaster prepping and stuffing them under the mattress. Well, yeah. Right. Um, so they're seeing it as a, as a form of uh, value storage, like Bitcoin and gold. Yeah, right. No, that's true. Which it isn't. <laughs> Well, the, 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 good thing about, running. the good thing about Bitcoin is you don't actually have anything to store. It's just it's just pixels on a screen, right? Yes, yes. Um, but with the cash, you've got to put it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what they're doing with it. Uh, possibly safety deposit box? Yeah. Uh, or, uh, Hole under or the shed? Someone, someone official said, uh, I think someone at the Reserve Bank talked about it being in the mattress or under the mattress. Yeah, yeah. So but it, it is a good question Ben raises. I don't think we've got a great sense on the black economy of how big it is. It feels to me like just how little we most of us use cash these days. It should The black economy should be shrinking. But um, maybe Ben's right. There could be quite a... Quite a scene if, if the no, well, there is, bank did this. I think India tried to yeah. ban a big de- denomination yes. notes and it, it uh, got a bit messy. It did get very messy, yeah. But um, I think they forced it through in the end. And I think we should do that. I think we should just ban, have no $100 notes. Right. Just say, in two years' time, everyone, or whatever, three years' time, that's it. No more. Right. Not, not legal tender anymore. What about when I go to the races and want to have a bet? Well, take take your phone and tap it, <laughs> like everyone else does. Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of that's there's not quite the romance of the track with tapping you. Anyway, I see what you're saying. Yes. Well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been great as always to uh, talk to James Thompson, Shonaclear columnist for the Financial Review, and I'm Alan Kohler, editor in chief of Eureka Report. You got any questions? Send them in um, to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. And next week. We'll be back with Stephen Main, uh, contributor to Eureka Report. Thanks, James. Thanks, Alan, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there and happy holidays. We'll see you next year. Yep, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and Thank your you. lovely family, who part of whom is with us today in the cafe. Yes, yes. I, he, I don't know if he's bought a book for you to sign, though. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't understand that. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thanks, Alan. <laughs>